Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm your host, Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor. And a couple days ago, the Cavaliers had pretty, pretty, pretty far odds of getting a top pick in this <laughs> NBA draft. Uh, I think it was 97.5% from getting the number one, or 97.5% that they were going to get the number 14 pick. And that's exactly what happened. Ping pong balls. Didn't necessarily go against Cleveland's favor, but they didn't certainly didn't go in Cleveland's favor. So Cleveland now officially has the 14th pick overall. And Chris, we've discussed this a lot in terms of, um, you know, before we get into like what they, what, what what they're going to do with the pick and all that. Um, obviously, it was it was a hail mary for them to get anything other than the 14th pick. We've talked a lot about mm-hmm. you know getting playoff experience over number 14, and you know looking back at it, I think the playoff experience 100% would have been a lot better. Uh, but they had, you know, some serious injuries and some, you know, some growing pains that they went through down the stretch and it it didn't allow them to get that experience. So here they are sitting with number 14. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think the best way to put it, Hayden, is it's a consolation prize. Um, obviously, there was the frustration and the pain for the Cavs that they had to deal with immediately after losing both playing games against Brooklyn and Atlanta. But I think then... Um, Kobe Altman, Mike Ganzi, Brandon Weems, all of them were able to take a step back and say, hey, look, like part of the reason why we put the protections on the Karis LeVert trade package that we did was because in case something like this happened. Um, so I think when they took a step back, they were like, hey, look, we've got an opportunity to add to this roster. We understand how we have to build this thing. We understand how we have to grow this organization. It's not going to be in free agency. It's got to be shrewd trades and it's got to be hitting on draft picks. And this gives them another opportunity, another path, Hayden, this offseason. It's a critical offseason. We've talked about it. This gives them a path to add to this team. Um, Not only that, I mean, I think the 14th pick in this year's draft, while it's not a great position to be in because it's not considered a great draft, the players that they could be looking at, there are guys there that bring something to the Cavs that they don't currently have on the roster. And I think that's always the goal for a rebuilding team like the Cavs is to go out every single offseason, identify your flaws, and see what is the best path towards fixing those. Um, And and 14 is not going to be Evan Mobley, right? (laughs) 14 is not going to be... Oh, you never never know. You never know. Sure. Yeah. It could be Kawhi Leonard. It could be Giannis. It could be Rudy Gobert and some of these other guys that have been taken beyond number 14. Chances are it's not going to be like a significant piece of this core, but I think it can be a helpful piece and a rotation piece that's going to boost their depth. And we saw towards the end of last season, depth was an issue for this team. Yes, it certainly was. Um, you almost got into it a little bit, and I want to get into it. You know, this is kind of the basis of what we're going to pot about today. Um, but mm-hmm. your piece, your latest uh, is, or not your latest, there you wrote a piece on Evan Mobley being unanimously selected as NBA All Rookie First Team. Um, yeah, we can get into that a little bit. I mean, you know, a tremendous rookie year to him, um, and we, maybe we can get into that a little later. But I think we know that Evan Mobley is a foundational piece. Um, just, yep. it's just about getting better from the three point line, getting stronger, all that good stuff for him. Uh, but he definitely deserved that honor. But your second latest piece is, uh, the 2022 NBA draft represents Cleveland Cavaliers best chance to fill greatest need. 
And then your little subtext uh, or your little sub uh, headline is their offseason has two paths. They're easy to see and yet tricky to execute. If done properly, perhaps they may intertwine. So what are their two paths? How do they intertwine? Well, I think to me, the two paths are um, it, it's playmakers and wings. And, and that's the goal for the Cavs. That's their offseason mantra. And what I mean by the path is that what they do in the draft is going to affect what they do in free agency and potential trades. And what, so I think they have to identify, this is a long road, but I think they have to identify realistically, and this is hard to do because things can change quickly in the NBA, but this is what their job is. That's why they have so many strategy people in their front office. They have to look at who could potentially be available in a trade aid. Um, and they have to look at who could potentially be available in free agency. And they have to say to themselves, okay, is that where we get our wing? Right? Or they have to look at that and say, is that where we get our playmaker, our backup point guard, to play alongside Darius Garland at times and to back up Darius at times so we don't run him into the ground the way that we did the past couple of years? Um, and if, if they believe that trade or free agency is their path to a wing, then I think they would have to target playmaker, backup point guard in the draft. Um, if they feel like backup point guard playmaker is more realistic in free agency trade, which is what I think is going to end up being the case, then I think they have to target the highest upside two-way wing to try and fix that position long-term. And I just think it, in today's NBA, um, two-way wings are gold. You can't win without one. It's kind of like a quarterback in the NFL. Yep. Um, and they're very, very difficult to get. They rarely hit free agency. And the teams that have them um, – Either it would be too costly for the Cavs to acquire them in a trade or the teams that have them aren't going to trade them because they need those wings. So to me, I think their best path in the draft is going to be the two-way wing at number 14. If it happens to be a playmaker, like somebody who can make plays for himself, make plays for others, create shots for himself, create shots for others, then that would be great get a playmaking wing that would be outstanding um but but i think if, if we look at the offseason and what's probably available to the Cavs and, and the assets that they have in a potential trade i think they're going to really sharpen their focus when it comes to the 14th pick on, on guys that can play the two slash three spot as opposed to the one slash two so Obviously, the the easier of the two options is getting a playmaker, backup point guard kind of kind of thing. Um, I mean, with number fourteen, I, I think they're definitely looking at you know every possibility: possibility of packaging in the trade, possibility of um, you know of just picking a player. So, yeah, is there a situation in which they have to trade number fourteen for one, and then they don't? Then they have to kind of use something else to get the other. I mean, I think that's kind of the only way to make it work. Like you said, you know if they trade the number 14 for a backup point guard, then they're going to have to try to find a wing somehow, some other way, some other, ha or, you know, some other way. So it's just well, a matter thing, of. Like... Go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. 
I don't think I don't think they have to trade 14, or I don't think they have to trade the players' rights um, after drafting whoever it is at 14. I think if if we're talking about trying to trade for a playmaker or a point guard or a wing, whatever the case may be, like I think what the Cavs have to do is they have to outline um, the trade assets that they have and see what's going to bring them back the most. And to me, the 14th pick, the last pick of the lottery, has very, very little value. Um, yeah. I was looking at this a, a couple of different times in the last week, Hayden. The, the last time that I can remember, like, a player for 14 swap in, in the NBA was the Indiana Pacers and the San Antonio Spurs. Now, like, it turned out to be Kawhi Leonard going to San Antonio, but nobody knew Kawhi was going to be Kawhi at that point in time. Right. Um, and, and all Indiana got was, a, was George Hill. So it's not an all-star caliber player, right? It's just like a competent NBA rotational player. So, like, how much does that really help the Cavs if they use the 14th pick or the player that they get with the 14th pick to, to get the seventh or eighth guy in, in a rotation that, that has limited upside or, or less upside than the pick that they could use at 14. So if, if I'm talking about trying to make a trade in terms of the Cavs, the, the 14th overall pick is, is further down that list than, say, Colin Sexton, um, Lowry Markinen, if they want to go that way, Karis LeVert, Isaac Okoro. I, I just don't see, personally, in terms of trade value, I just don't see the number 14 pick moving the needle a lot for the kinds of, of players that they would want to acquire. Like, right. We talked about it in the last podcast, right? Um, I, I brought up Mike Conley. Mm-hmm. What does the 14th pick do for Utah? <laughs> You know what I mean? A A team that wants to win right now and they want to be competitive around Donovan Mitchell. It's hard to sell Utah on on that really helping them. It's easier to sell Utah on Isaac Okoro or Karis LeVert or Lowry Markinen. You know what I mean? And and then if you're talking about the Cavs trying to go like bigger than that, bigger than the Conley types, I think a future first round pick obviously is going to have more value um, around the league than like the 14th pick. So I think at this point in time, Hayden, the best path for the Cavs is to draft at 14 and keep that guy and, and make it a two way wing or a potential two way wing that they can groom and develop the kind of piece that they don't have on this roster. So, I mean, pardon my pun, but you're basically saying that it's, you know, it's a lottery ticket. It's a lottery pick. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of what it is. You know, you're not looking at number 14 as a guy that's, you know, going to be a huge part of your rotation going forward. Or, I mean, you hope he is, but you're not planning on that happening with number 14. But essentially you're saying that the best option for the Cavs, keep 14, draft the player 14, um, as opposed to maybe packaging in a deal or trying to just get something one-on-one. Well, I think the guy can be a part of the rotation moving forward, maybe even in year one, depending on who it is at 14. But, right. but I think if, if, if we're looking at this to be a core piece similar to Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, Darius Garland, 
the odds of that are a lot longer, especially, you know, given some of the guys that they could be looking at at number 14. Um, you see competent, quality players, um, but but I don't know that I see star potential, like building block type guy. Well, I guess that's my point is that like, could is there a situation in which maybe the Cavs can try to go after that two-way wing with Colin Sexton with in that pick or with Isaac Coro on that pick or with Jetty Osman on that pick and then just try to, you know, Try to find a back um, as opposed to just taking that lottery pick and, and seeing, you know, if it's a lottery or if it's a, uh, you know, if it works out for them. Well, I think the other benefit of, of getting a lottery pick here and, and drafting and keeping the guy is the cost control element here. The, the mm-hmm. Cavs roster, Hayden, is going to get pricey and it's yep. going to get pricey soon. They're already very, very cognizant going into this offseason of the luxury tax. They know um, that they could re-sign Colin Sexton, they could use the full mid-level exception, and they could um, draft somebody at number 14. And doing all of that, they have about a $21 million buffer below the luxury tax. So they have to be cognizant of that. Um, and some of the players that you're talking about, the more established wings in the NBA, they make between 18 and $30 million annually. Um, right. The Cavs are going to give more than likely a max extension to Darius Garland. Um, the Jared Allen contract extension is kicking in. Obviously, Kevin Love's coming off the books, but then Evan Mobley is going to get a big contract in the near future. Who knows what's going to happen with Colin Sexton? Karis LeVert, there's a conversation that the Cavs have to have there. Lowry Markinen yep. makes about $15 million annually. So the, the benefit of, of drafting that two-way wing that's not currently on the roster at 14 is, is how much that would cost them for the next three to five years. Um, it fits a lot better with their salary cap situation. The other thing to bring up here, and, and it would be great, right? If the Cavs could go out and trade for somebody like Brandon Ingram, that's yep. not realistic. He's not going anywhere. New Orleans is building their franchise around him. So I'm going to give you the list of names that I came up with that could fit the profile. And you tell me how much interest you would have in them, understanding that the cost is going to be really, really high, even though you may think some of these guys are meh, because the archetype is going to determine the cost. And, and I think the market is going to determine the cost as well. And, and we know one thing going into this offseason, Hayden, there are very, very few wings that, that pique anybody's interest in free agency. You could make an argument that going into free agency, the best available wing player might be Kyle Anderson of the Memphis Grizzlies. Maybe Joe Ingles coming off a torn ACL. Right. Think about that. Yep. Think about those players. That's what free agency could offer. Um, so here are the wings that I came up with. Okay. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. Okay. Boyan Bogdanovich. Gordon Hayward. Tobias Harris. Harrison Barnes. 
Gary Trent Jr., maybe. Um, Aaron Gordon, Jeremy Grant, and this one may or may not be possible, but his contract situation is interesting, and the Warriors have two first-rounders um, waiting that play the same position in Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody, that they're both invested in. Uh, Andrew Wiggins would be my final one, and I think he would be um, the toughest to get, and I don't think he's as readily available as maybe some of the other guys because of the success that he's had, especially in this postseason run for Golden State. And if Golden State gets to the NBA Finals, they may want to run it back. So of those guys that I mentioned, which one stands out to you that, that could significantly help the Cavs? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not – I mean, there there's some interesting names. I mean, I've always been a Tobias Harris fan, but um, – right. I, the that Bogdanovich is. You... Go ahead. Tobias Harris would a starting point would be Kevin Love. Yep. And yep. more. And more. Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Wiggins is interesting, but I think you're right. I think it would take a lot, and I think they'd probably want to run it back. Uh, the Bogdanoviches again. Both of them, you know, they can they can play. Right. I think There's they no help. Doubt. Yeah, I think yeah, they, they help, can... but. It's just a matter of, you know, you're right. It's a matter of price. I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Right. So I came up with hypothetical trades that, that I think um, are more realistic than some of the ones that you see floating out there on the internet. Oh, hell yeah, Chris. Like, I love, I love the hypothetical trade. It's like my favorite <laughs> thing. Dude, yes. So, Bring it. Bring it. Wine and Gold po- Talk Podcast exclusive. Actually, actually, actually. Actually, yeah. let's take a let's take a little break. Let's let's okay. let's let's take a five second break. Let's let the advertising play, and then on the on the other side, we will uh, we will hear your hypothetical trades. So stick with us on the One and Gold Dog Podcast. Hypothetical trades coming next. All right, we are back on the One and Gold Talk Podcast. We are talking hypothetical trades. Good stuff here. Can't wait to hear what Chris Fedor has come up with for us. So, Chris, tell us these hypothetical trades that you have come up with that are better than what you've seen thus far. All right, so here's one. Would you do this? Atlanta clearly is is looking to rejigger the roster. Um, Would you give up Karis LeVert and something? Probably a future second round pick, I would think, would probably have to be included. That would be my guess. Um, so Karis LeVert and a future second round pick for Bogdan Bogdanovich. And Colin Sexton stays in the roster? Yeah, that would be the Cavs picking Colin over Karis. I would do that. Yeah, I would. Right. I would. See, my only thinking with that is that maybe Atlanta wants more of a driver, more of an attacker to take some ball handling pressure off sure. of Trey Young. Um, and Karras brings that element in a way that Bogdan doesn't. Right. And Bogey brings some shooting in a way that Karras does. Karras and the Cavs need yep. shooting, definitely. Yep. So that would be my first one. The other option would be doing a similar trade with the other Bogdanovich, this one from Utah. Would you do that? It would be, oh, they just the same thing with a different. Thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I think I would do that too. Karis I mean, I, I have high hopes for Karis. I do. Right. I, I do have high hopes for Karis, but I just, you know, I don't know. I think that having two similar players in Colin Sexton and Karis LeVert doesn't do a ton for you. Um, I'd rather have, you know, a guy that can play a little bit of a different spot. Right. And bring a different skill set. I, I think yes. the Cavs. I think the Cavs needed what Karis brought to the table, but he didn't actually bring it to the table. In theory, they needed what he brought to the table in the final two months and going into the postseason because he was going to create his own bucket. Uh, right. And he was going to drive to the basket. He was going to do some of the things that Colin Sexton did so well that the Cavs were missing from him. Right. Now, as we spin it forward, I think the Cavs need more shooting. Yeah. Harris, I think, is a career like 33% three-point shooter. So if they could flip him for either a more reliable backup point guard like we've already talked about, mm-hmm. or a shooter, a better shooter to give some spacing and some shooting, I think it's something that the Cavs should consider. Here's another one. And this is hard because I think this guy has the game that the Cavs absolutely need, but there's so many injuries. Um, Kevin Love or Gordon Hayward? Just straight? I don't know that it would be straight, to be perfectly honest with you. I think maybe the Cavs would have to include something, but it would be a benefit to Charlotte, in theory, to get off of Gordon Hayward's contract and take mm-hmm. Kevin's expiring contract so that they can yeah. kind of reset their salary okay. cap situation ahead of, like, LaMelo Ball. Yeah, I'm going to pass because I, really? I just – Yeah, I'm going to pass, and here's why. I just think Gordon, you know, yes, he's been better, but the injuries – you know, I just think Kevin can bring – you know, I think there's a leadership quality and a, and a togetherness and a chemistry and a lead, like that he brings to this Cavs team that they – you know, desperately need. And I don't think that he's that much of a, you know, I don't think Gordon Hayward is that much of an upgrade in terms of, yes, he plays differently, but like you're talking about the sixth man of the year, a really good player off the bench can shoot the ball. Like if you were taking, like if there was a player that the Cavs would match the number better and, you know, had a different skill set, then maybe, I mean, honestly, if you added like, hmm, I would, I would trade Karis Levert for him but you would have to add some players from from Charlotte or some pieces from Charlotte. You would also have to add some pieces from the Cavs. To make yeah, salary make salaries because, work, yeah. Yeah, Hayward makes around $30 million annually. Yeah. So here's my thinking on this. If, and you can't do this, right? But if you ignore the injury history with, with Gordon Hayward and yes. all of those questions that come with him, and you could just create a player – to plop onto this Cavs roster. <laughs> the skill set of Gordon Hayward would be really, really close to what you would want. Sure. You would probably want younger. You would probably want, I don't know, maybe more versatile in terms of um, how they can attack defenses at this stage of their career. But he can create. He can score at all three levels. He can knock down threes. He can guard threes and fours. That to me is really, really intriguing. I yeah. I mean, again, but the problem, like you said, is that you can't ignore injury history. You can't ignore injury. No, you can't do that. 
And you can't ignore contract. That's the other thing. I mean, if you're taking on Gordon Hayward, you're paying him $30 million this year and then 31.5 next year. So you're adding an extra year of salary where in terms of Kevin Love, you know, his salary comes off the book at the end of next season. Right. Okay. Here's another one. Right. Okay. Um, trying to figure out what they would want in a deal. And I'm having a hard time, but hmm. Hmm. But like the salary matches up and I just, I'm, I'm not 100% sure that it's, it's a stylistic fit, but whatever. Um, let's say Karis Levert, it has to start with Levert probably. And then something, yep. again, probably a future second-round pick or multiple future second-rounders for Gary Trent Jr. I would do it. I would do it. He can shoot. He can defend. I mean, he, we saw how hot he got in the game against the Cavs. And, and the other thing about him is he's 23 years old. He's more of a two-guard. Um, but I think he could probably get away playing some three, maybe, possibly. Yeah. Yeah, but he does fit into that kind of youth youth movement, youth mold that the Cavaliers have right now. Yeah, and I, and I love that. What? And and I mean, again, he's a different kind of player stylistically than Karis Levert. So so maybe possibly Toronto would want an attacker like Karis. Um, but I, obviously, I don't know the Raptors as well as as I know the Cavs, but it would seem like that kind of player, the Karras archetype, is something that the Raptors are missing. And Trent shot 38% from three this past year for Toronto. He's a career 39% three-point shooter. So it would okay. be the Cavs adding, you know, a different element to their team with, right. with a shooter. Let me ask you a question. And maybe this is um, Maybe this is kind of the crux of the whole thing. Yeah. What's I mean? Okay, a better trade ship for the Cavs. I mean, is, is it Karis Levert? Is it Colin Sexton? Which one would you rather trade? Which one should they trade? Which one do they not want to trade? I mean, I think that's I think those two guys essentially are the most are the best trade ships the Cavs have in terms of you know players that other teams would want. Um, I don't know about that. Okay. Well, I'm obviously, wondering. like Darius Garland and all them, but. No, no, no. Like Darius is untouchable. Jared's yeah, untouchable. Yeah, yeah. Evans yeah. untouchable. But, but there is part of me that believes because of his age, because of his upside, um, and because of the development that he has shown, especially in the second half of last season, and the style that he plays, I think Isaac Okoro would have some value to some of these teams. Okay. And and I think okay. maybe even he, he hasn't. He hasn't proven as much at the NBA level as Colin or Karras. But lots right. of teams look at a moldable ball of clay and say, okay, there's a lot of upside there. We'd rather take the swing on that upside than the stability and the known of somebody like Karras. Because here's the thing about Karras. If, if we're talking about what another team would see um, if they were acquiring him in a trade, like, yes, they would see – a guy who can go score, attack the rim, 
He's got enough size and length to guard twos and threes. But beyond that, Hayden, below that surface is a long list of injuries. He's played one full season in his entire career. Um, Yep. A guy who has very, very little in terms of playoff experience um, in the games that he has played that have been playoff-like. He has not been very good. Um, And there's a contract situation coming up with him. He could be an unrestricted free agent at the end of next year. So whoever would be acquiring him would either have to be comfortable paying him a new contract immediately or would have to feel good about their chances of re-signing him in free agency if no extension is done. Right. And, and with Colin, it's very similar as well. Is he a starter? Is he a backup? Um, can he guard his own position? Are we comfortable with an undersized, non-traditional shooting guard? Um, what happened to his three-point shot in the 11 games last year that was so significantly different than the first two years of his career? Did he revert back to what we saw coming out of Alabama where there were questions about his shot? Does his style translate to winning basketball? Another question when it comes to Karis LeVert as well. And are we comfortable paying Colin what he's going to want to to get paid? So, like, those factors are not there with Isaac Okoro. You know what I mean? Like, those factors factors are not there with Lowry Markkinen if we're talking about trade assets that could be appealing to other teams. Those factors aren't there with a future first-round pick that could be under control of a team for the next five years. So I think if we're being honest about the realistic chips that the Cavs have, that they would actually be willing to give up, even though Karras and Colin have accomplished more, I think that list starts with Isaac Okoro. Okay. Okay. Well, if it's Isaac Okoro, I mean, that could... That that's the thing. I think the Cavs do have tradable assets, and I think that, that if they wanted to make a significant move, I think they could do that. Um, like well, I you think said, we have to all, define significant. Well, I don't think franchise altering is what I, is the word, but like, okay, they can get better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there are opportunities to do that. The question is, what's the cost, and is the cost because these these kinds of wings are in such demand? is the cost going to be too prohibitive? Right, right. All right, so say, you know, okay, so say the Cavaliers are going to keep number 14 because you seem to think that's the best option. I kind of agree at this point. I mean, you're like you said, like I said, if, if anything, they would probably have to package um, package it with a player to get, you know, any sort of significant return, but they could also package a future right. pick. They could package, package a second-round pick, whatever. Um, so... Say number fourteen, just off the top of your head, right away. I mean, I I know we've all we've looked at the mock drafts and we've looked at different things. What what do you think the best option if the Cavaliers were to? Um, I mean, we'll see if they do pick up any you know any players or any have anything happen before um, mm. before the draft. But um, at this point, where would you be looking? I mean, we've talked about Malachi Branham. We've talked about um, adding a backup point guard. I mean, uh, yeah. People are looking at the kid from Kansas whose name I have trouble with, so I'm not going to let you say yep. it first. Um, Agbaji. <laughs> you know, Agbaji, right. Yeah. So um, where do you think they are, they, they're they looking right now? Where do you think they could have a good fit um, at number 14? I think it starts with Malachi Branham. 
Yeah. I, I think of the guys available at, at 14, he is the one that there would be the greatest consensus on right now. Yep. He's more of a two than a three, but he's long, okay? He measured at about six foot five, but he's got a six foot ten wingspan. So that helps. That helps a lot. Um, he can shoot mid-range and three-point range, about 50% from the field, 42% from three-point range. And the thing that I like, 83% from the free throw line. That yep. usually translates to a guy continuing to be able to shoot. I've gotten comparisons. One executive compared him to Milwaukee's Chris Middleton. Nice. Um, yep. And the other thing is, like, at times at the end of the season – Branham had to create offense for Ohio State. Yes, so he, he did. Showed an ability to create. So, I think it starts there, Hayden. Um, but but there's another name here that I think is really really intriguing for the Cavs. I wrote about it more than two weeks ago, and then everybody else started talking about him after that. <laughs> Dyson Daniels, the G League Ignite kid. Okay. Dude, he measured six foot seven. In shoes, like he had a growth spurt this past year of about two inches. So we're talking about a supersized guard who has great defensive chops that when he puts on a little bit more weight, Hayden, he's probably going to be able to guard threes in the NBA while mostly playing the one or the two on the offensive end because of his style. Now, his shot is not there right now. He shoots at about 25% from three-point range. But a scout that I talked to recently about Daniels that has watched him for a long, long time said that the shot is not broken. It just needs tweaks. And really, like a lot of these guys have some questions about their shooting that the Cavs could be looking at at the number 14 range. So when you get the defense, you get the size, you get the athleticism, you get the vision, and you get the playmaking from Dyson Daniels, like, I'm not going to be focused on the fact that right now, at this stage of his life, he can't shoot threes as good as you would want. Um, so if he's available at 14, and I don't think he's going to be anymore because of his size, like, that's, that's really, really intriguing to a lot of teams. Um, but if he was available at 14, I think that would be the guy that the Cavs would take. I just don't think right now he's going to be available at 14. And then beyond that, Agbaji has some fans in the Cavs front office because he is considered by many, Hayden, to be the, the, the best shooter of all the options at number 14 and one of the best shooters in the entire draft. And he also is further along on the developmental curve. He's 22 years old. He can probably help right away. Um, and he can defend. He is a rugged, tough defender. Um, usually took one of the toughest assignments for the Kansas defense when, when he was on the floor. And I think that's something like the, the ceiling is not there the way that it is with Branham and Daniels. I've had a Baji compared to guys like Jay Crowder, a, a typical three and D guy who can't really create his own offense, but he can knock down open shots if somebody creates those for him. Um, and the Cavs have to figure out, will we have enough shot creation 
um, to justify taking him at number 14, or would it be better for us to get somebody who has more of a ceiling as a, a shooter, yes, a defender, yes, but also more of a shot creator? Well, I think if the Cavaliers were to get any of those three, I think you could definitely see the positives in any three. I mean, Branham is young. I think, you know, you talk about a growth spread. I think he's a guy that could be eligible for a growth spread. I don't know what his biological, (laughs) I don't know what his biology says, but you know what? I mean, I've seen it. We've seen it happen so many times. Guys grow at 19. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, And then, you know, if you got, what is it? Agbaji, Agjavi, what is it? Agbaji. yeah. Agbaji. Okay, Agbaji. Um, if you get him in the realm, then, or if you get him at 14, then you got a guy that's you know older, ready to play more, um, maybe a little more mature, maybe a little more ready for what the Cavaliers are going to do in trying to get to the playoffs. And then in Daniels, um, you know, you get a little bit of everything. So I think with those three, yeah. you couldn't go wrong. And there's another one here. LSU's Tardy Eason. Um, he started his career at Cincinnati wasn't very good at Cincinnati, was a foul magnet, um, really couldn't pass, turn the ball over, shooting percentages not good. His shot is hideous looking. It's like a catapult almost. It's over the outside shoulder, essentially. Um, he's more of a defense-first guy, and I think the Cavs need to think more offense. But, you know, versatile defenders in the NBA – with size and strength and athleticism that can guard maybe three, fours, and fives. And he did play some five. Um, he played mostly five, to be honest with you, for LSU. So there are questions about, like, what is his best position? What's the best way to maximize him? But I think they're going to be tempted by that package, especially a head coach like J.B. Bickerstaff. Um, that kind of guy next to Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, like, that's really, really exciting from a defensive perspective. And then, if you're the Cavs, you hope, like you do with Isaac Okoro and some of these other guys, that the offense is going to come as um, his game evolves and he gets more physically mature and he works with the player development staff that also worked with Colin Sexton and Jetty Osman and Larry Nance Jr. and Isaac Okoro. So Tari Ethan is another name that, that I think Cavs fans should watch. In fact, at least one member of the organization that I talked to recently likes Ethan the most of the guys that they consider most realistic at number 14. Um, wow. B- because he's, he's getting comparisons to Patrick Williams from Florida State. And in 2020, the Cavs really liked Patrick Williams. He just won yep. one pick in front of them, and then they got Isaac Kokoro instead. So right. that type of player is one that appeals to the Cavs' front office. Well, the j- draft is on June 23rd, so we are about a month away. Uh, we'll definitely be able to talk about it a little more. And again, maybe there will be some more clarity um, as to what's going to happen with this or where the Cavaliers are going to be at that point. Like we said, maybe, you know, yeah. um, at that point there will be a little more um, a little more, I wouldn't say final. Or little, there, there will be things that um, happen that maybe they think, think are, make them a little more clear for Cleveland at that point. Yeah, and the other one that that I really like, and I know that the Cavs like as well, but they believe internally that he's going to be gone by number fourteen is Jang. Um, he's a French swingman. Uh, he played in New Zealand. 
He was very good in the second half of the season for New Zealand. Um, he did not get off to a good start, but he's like six foot ten, can shoot, can handle, can pass. Like we're talking upside and just taking a big swing on somebody who could potentially three to five years down the road be like a legitimate matchup nightmare at the three four spot. He would be the one. Um, but there are teams drafting in front of the Cavs that might be just willing to take a huge shot on his upside and his overall talent and just the package that he brings and how intriguing it is. So I have a hard time believing that he's going to be available at number 14, especially the way that he finished the the, the past season. Um, but that's somebody that the Cavs would absolutely be interested in if he was available at 14. All right. All right. Again, the Cavs have options, but it's exactly what they need. Uh, but I think I think that it's I think we've kind of I mean if we were playing GM I think it's you're right I think the 14 is probably just best at this point to take player and and unless a team really wants 14 and a package for a play and package for something else but um, yeah. you know if like I said it's just it's hard to see where they're going to go when there's such little clarity at this point you know what I'm saying Yep for sure so, so. there's no doubt about that and the other thing is. Um, I mean, there, there are things that, that the Cavs have to figure out, um, but there are things that, that could happen in the NBA, not, not actually happen, but like speculation, and they could gain more intel around the league in, in talking to a lot of these teams and agents at the Combine and stuff like that, where you look at a situation and say, well, somebody could become available in a trade that we don't think is currently available, right? Or, or somebody... Uh, might be willing to take the mid-level exception when it seemed like that guy was going to get 12 or $13 million annually or something along those lines, right? So, like, this is a whole off-season map that just starts with the draft, but it obviously intersects with free agency and potential trades. Right, right, exactly. And I think Kobe has been really, really, really good at jumping on opportunities and really, really, really good at making sure that, you know, they do vet the waters and they do talk to these teams and they do find maybe guys that they didn't think were going to be available a la Jared Allen. You know, that's a perfect yeah. example. So um, I have no doubt that that will continue to be the case. Uh, but like I said, we got about a month to the draft, so uh, we will uh, we will continue to talk about what's going to happen. Uh, any thoughts on the, uh, the Eastern Conference, Western Conference finals this far? Well, that was a mighty impressive performance by Golden State last night against Dallas and I thought you were going to say that that uh, was a mighty I thought you were going to say like that was a mighty impressive transition or a mighty impressive I'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) well I mean going into that game against uh Golden State I was like you know who are the Warriors going to use against Luka if if the Suns couldn't figure out how to guard Luka and they had Mikel Bridges and they had guys capable of switching and things along those lines who are the Warriors going to use against him? And it was amazing, Hayden, because in the first, like, nine minutes of the game, maybe just the first quarter, they threw, like, so many different looks at him. They trapped him. They went box and one. They went zone. They put Wiggins on him. They switched. They hedged. And obviously that's the the plan for Golden State moving forward is to not allow Luka to get comfortable and show different looks, and that's what you have to do against some of the greatest offensive players. But for them, 
um, to make Luca look so uncomfortable, given how he looked against the Phoenix Suns, I thought that was incredibly impressive by the Golden State Warriors. Tonight, game two of Boston and Miami, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it's I think that to... and we'll see what happens with um, we'll see what happens with uh, Al Horford and Marcus Smart. Yeah. That's why it's hard to really evaluate what happened in game one of that series. Number one, LeBron has said it over and over and over again, and you know this too, Hayden. Game one is the feel-out game. Um, Yes. Beyond that, Boston not having Horford and Smart is so significant to what they want to do both offensively and defensively. So it's hard for me to make judgments based on what I saw in game one, but you know, Jimmy Butler playing at the level that Jimmy Butler is playing at. Boy, those are the kinds of guys that the Cavs need, and they don't have. Yeah, if only were that easy. Yeah, if only right. it were that easy to get a guy like that, exactly. Yeah. Tobias Harris over me? Over me? <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Butler, yeah, well, look look what happens. So, um, yeah. all right, well, tonight, game two of that series, and, uh, you know, as, as we continue to go forward, we'll get closer and closer to the draft and closer and closer to getting an idea of who the Cleveland Cavaliers are, um, you know, looking to draft and looking to add to the team and what direction they're going to go in. So, Chris, anything else before we let you go? No, man, I think that's about it. Uh, it'll be All right. interesting for the next month, following along what the Cavs do and the guys that they bring in for workouts and the guys that they interview and all that kind of stuff. Yep, absolutely. Well, enjoy this beautiful 70-degree day in Northeast Ohio, 73 degrees I can see right now. The sun is shining, so enjoy it. Enjoy the family, and uh, we will talk soon. Sounds good, brother. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the One and Gold Talk podcast. Be sure to go to cleveland.com slash Cavs to read all of Chris's content. And be sure to click the blue banner at the top of the page. All you got to do is sign up $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial, and you will get all kinds of insight analysis news sent straight to your phone before Twitter or anywhere else from Chris. Again, $3.99 a month sent straight to your phone, 14-day free trial. All you have to do is go to the blue banner, click it, enter your phone number, and you will be good to go. So do that now as we get ready for the 2022 NBA draft. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We will talk soon. Take care.